Well, thanks again for coming to Grace. We appreciate you being here. And we are in our second week of a series called Fight. It's about relationships. We're going to dive into that in just a moment. I wanted to just take a minute to update you on some of the things that are happening. First of all, we had a great weekend last weekend, as you heard a little bit about. We had 147 people show up at the launch of Grace Point in Northwood, Ohio. So we're excited about that. And so they got a great start. And then also Paulding's doing their thing. And we have a, a venue in Bloomville that we very much appreciate. That, that happens on Saturday nights as they show our service there. So a lot of good things happening. One other thing that we do things during the week that you don't always hear about. This kind of fits into what we're going to talk about today. But over the last couple of weeks, some of you know that we have a couple of orphanages that that we own and, and operate in Thailand. And what happened is, they're called uh, Doi Socket 3 and 4 is, is the name. But what happened is their wells had dried up. They're, they hit a dry spell. The two wells that we had on the property there for each orphanage dried up. And we needed to, to be able to dig a new well, which are, they're in process of doing that. But I just want to say, things like that happen... We actually, because of your generosity, already have the funds where we don't even have to come and ask because the money has already been given and it's designated for our orphans that we were able to send them over $7,000 to, to redig those two wells and also provide a pump that will serve both and a tank. And I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, we, we work with orphans in Thailand, also some in Africa, and don't always hear about it that much because we don't have to come and ask for money because of your generosity. You're always making that happen. Thank you very much for, for doing that. As we talk about the, the series Fight, we've been talking about relationships. This is probably the weirdest series on relationships that I've ever done. To me, I was just telling somebody that in the room before the first service. It was just, just odd because basically... We're just tying marriage into basic Christianity. I, I guess I just wanted to get back to the basics and just realize that if we just get our Christianity right, then most of our marriage issues and our relationship issues would go away. So last week, for example, we started with forgiveness. Because if you're doing marriage counseling, that's one of the first things that you have to hit is somebody comes up, their relationship has gotten sideways, and there's all this baggage that's built up. So one of the main things is that you have to be able to forgive so you can move on and deal with life the way it is now. And then I pointed out that forgiveness, it's not easy. It's not natural. It's not something that, that comes to us easily. We have to fight for it. We have to make it happen. We have to put in the effort. But for believers, forgiveness should be uh, we should have an advantage. It should be easier for us because we know that even though we never deserved it, God has forgiven us for everything. And not only just everything that we've done, but everything we've ever thought, every wrong motivation, even when we're doing something that looks good. God's forgiven us of, of all of that. And so when we've received forgiveness like that, it equips us it empowers us to be able to forgive somebody else the much less stuff that they've done to us. Now, today, 
we're talking about another basic Christian characteristic. And, and it's all about being selfless. As believers, we are taught to be other-oriented. We are taught to be selfless in our relationships. And that's what I want to camp on today. There's actually a place in the Bible where Jesus tells a story about selflessness. But what happens is he's actually asked a question. And the question may be the number one question that any of us would ask Jesus. This may be the question. He's asked that question. And then he answers the question. Then he launches into a story that teaches us about selflessness. And that's where I want to go this morning. It's in Luke chapter 10. I invite you to turn there if you uh, want to follow along on your device or if you want to follow along on one of the Bibles on the chair rack in front of you. It's page 1035. And we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 10 and start right there. And the, the question that the, this, a lawyer approaches Jesus... He's an expert in law, not like how we think of lawyers, but he's, like a, he's an expert in their Old Testament law. He's like a seminary professor, very highly esteemed. And he asks Jesus a question, and basically the question is very basic. It may be what we all ask. Now, the lawyer thinks he knows the answer to this, but he's asking Jesus a question. And the question is, how, do, how does a person go to heaven? How do you go to heaven? How do you make that happen? And, they, and that begins this interchange and so I want to start in Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25, where this guy approaches Jesus. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then he said to him, What's written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And now Jesus is talking this next time. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you'll live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well, who and who is my neighbor? And here's where the story comes in. Jesus replied and said... A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among, among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. Then Jesus asked the question to follow up. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go 
and do the same. So before we get to the selflessness part of this teaching, Jesus is dealing with a much bigger issue and we need to set that context and understand what's happening here. So remember, Jesus is in his ministry, which only lasted three years, and he's caused quite a stir. He's teaching as one who has authority, but he's teaching in a different way, and he's doing some things that the religious crowd doesn't appreciate. And mainly that is that Jesus is interacting and befriending immoral people because religious teachers and religious leaders didn't really mix that well with immoral people, but Jesus is doing this, and that's causing Jesus' ministry to be suspect in many of these leaders' minds. And so the lawyer comes to Jesus, and he asks a question to test him. And, and the whole question is a test, and the reason he's testing Jesus is because when Jesus is, is interacting with these immoral people, he's testing Jesus to try to really bait Jesus into saying something that the teacher believes is true of Jesus, which makes him wrong in the eyes of the law. So what he's doing is he's asking Jesus a question, and he's expecting how Jesus might answer. He's anticipating Jesus' answer, and he thinks because Jesus is hanging around a lot of immoral people. And by the way, Jesus wasn't just in proximity with immoral people. He's not just there to tell them, hey, they need to straighten up and get better, which was part of what Jesus said. But what really rankled a, a lot of religious leaders like this lawyer was that Jesus is, is, seems to be befriending them. He's eating with them. He's interacting with them. He's becoming friends with them. And he's telling them the way to God. But that was very controversial. So he asked the question, how do you go to heaven? Now, the lawyer knows the answer to this question. The lawyer would say... You obey God's commands. But he's asking the question because he thinks that Jesus, because of his interaction with immoral people, is going to soften this up a little bit. And if Jesus does that, what the lawyer anticipates, then the lawyer can discredit Jesus' ministry by saying this. Oh yeah, Jesus is a great teacher. Sure, he loves people. And sure, he teaches that God loves people. But he has left out the holiness of God. He's left out God's laws, which God personally gave to Moses and that we have written for us. He's ignoring those things, so he's emphasizing God's love and he's ignoring God's holiness. And by the way, that's what people do in our culture all the time. They want to emphasize God's love and de-emphasize his holiness, his righteousness. That's why people always kind of think, yeah, well, you know, God can't judge me and God's okay with me and all this stuff. It's because they're thinking that way. And a lot of times Christians get into this thinking. I'll, I'll give you an example. A lot of times there are Christians who they, they know the Bible and they believe the Bible. But then when the Bible comes into conflict with their life, or the Bible comes into conflict with a lifestyle of somebody they love, then because of their relationship with that person, or because of their desire to do this thing that God says is wrong, they go ahead and participate in that, that wrong, or they're interacting with somebody that they're very close to that participates in that wrong lifestyle, 
And then they start questioning whether the Bible is actually right in this area. And they start saying things. Well, I think the Bible might be a little outdated in this area. Remember the Bible? The New Testament was written 2,000 years ago. It's a little old. And they, and they come up with all these reasons. And that makes them feel better about the behavior that they're doing where people are doing. And really, the mark of a, of, of a mature Christian is to be able to say, yeah, I might do this, but I know that it's wrong and I shouldn't be doing it, and there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I love my, my, my grown child, but yeah, they're in a lifestyle that I know is wrong and they shouldn't be doing that, there's, and there's no two ways about it. I still love them, but it's flat wrong. And so people are, just have a problem doing that. And so the lawyer is testing Jesus waiting for Jesus' response, that Jesus is going to soften up on the law a little bit and emphasize God's love, and then the lawyer's going to discredit him. But Jesus doesn't do that. And again, the lawyer is testing Jesus. It's like he's playing checkers. He makes a move, and then he's anticipating how Jesus is going to move, and then he's going to get the double jump. But Jesus is like a chess master compared to this guy playing checkers. And Jesus doesn't respond the way he thinks he's going to respond. So when he asks Jesus how to do it, how do, you, how do you get eternal life? Then Jesus turns around and he asks him a question. And he says, well, what does the law say? How do you read it? Now when Jesus says, how do you read it? What he means by that is in the New Testament, these experts in the law, because the law was so long and it was more than the Ten Commandments... It was was the whole first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And they all had a way of summarizing the law, getting it down to a bite-sized chunk. And so Jesus is basically saying, how do you see the law? How do you read the law? You're an expert. How do you get it? How do you summarize it? And then the lawyer has a great response. He summarizes the law very correctly, very accurately. As a matter of fact... He summarizes the law exactly the way Jesus would summarize the law and had summarized the law. So this was not original with the lawyer, and I don't know if he knew Jesus had already summarized it that way or not, but this was, this was out there. But he picks the right answer, and he says, well, what's the law? It basically boils down to how do you, how do, you do the law? It basically boils down to loving God with all your heart. And with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbors like you love yourself. Boom. He nails it. And then Jesus says, when he nails it, says something totally expected. Jesus says, correct, do that, and you'll live. And starts to walk away. And the guy realizes, whoa, even though he's correctly summarized the law, what Jesus is is saying there, what's happening there that's not spoken, I think, is that Jesus says, you and I both know you can't do that. So good luck, I'm out. And the guy's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And wishing to justify himself, and this justify himself, wishing... Because the lawyer's all about, his premise is if I'm, my life is virtuous enough, then at some point I'm acceptable to God. Which is 
how every religion in the world except for Christianity works. And that's the lawyer's premise as well. And so because he's justifying himself, or the way we would say it, because he's, he's developed this system of earning his way to heaven, which is what the law had turned into by the time of the first century, then he's, then he's got it all of a sudden, this is a steep hill to climb, and he's trying to get this bar lowered a little bit. Somehow he thinks he's doing the God thing right, which he's not, but he, he lands on the neighbor thing, and he says, well, okay, do that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who's my neighbor? And then when he asks that question, Jesus uses that to launch, in the story, to launch into a story. Now, Jesus could have just answered the question, right? Who's my neighbor? We can all answer that. When Jesus is teaching us, love your neighbor, who's our neighbor? Everybody. So Jesus could have just answered everybody, but he doesn't answer everybody. He tells a story because he's trying to help the lawyer to see that he cannot keep the law and he needs a savior. He needs outside help that his system will not work. It's this whole system of, of we think if we're good enough. I mean, it's just all over our culture and it's all around the world. If you live a good enough life, then somewhere... God will accept you, whatever God you have. And then people, you know, it's like a mountain. If, if you do enough, if you ascend enough morally uh, to get a, with enough virtue, at some point you're going to cross some line and you're acceptable to God. Christianity is the complete opposite of that. Christianity is saying there is no mountain to climb. There's no mountain of virtue that you can climb that will make you right with God. As a matter of fact, we're such utter failures at this that God removes the mountain and God comes all the way down to us to meet us where we're at. And without that, we have no hope. So that's what's going on. That's the context. And so he says, who's the neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story. Now, as we get into this story, this is where we're picking up the selflessness. And, and basically, I'll, I'll just structure it. We won't take, spend a lot of time on this, but just three quick questions. And that is, what, what does it mean to be selfless? What is it? Who, do we, who are we to be selfless to? We already know where that's going. And then the last question is, well, how do we actually pull that off? How do we do? How do we be selfless? How do we do selflessness? All right, so we, he, Jesus launches, first, first question, what does it mean? So as he gets into the story of the Samaritan, he's actually teaching us what it means to love in a selfless way. So selflessness is just one of the ways that we love other people. And then he tells this story. Now, when he tells this story, everybody that's within his hearing inside of Israel, they all know about this road. It's a famous road that connects Jerusalem, kind of in the hill country, to Jericho next to the Dead Sea, which is below sea level. And this one road that connected them was a long and dangerous road. And I've had the privilege of being there a couple of times. It's a, a road that winds through these barren hills. There's no trees. There's nothing there. If you've ever been to the Badlands in South Dakota, that's how it is. It's like the Badlands. And so there's a bunch of hills. You can't ever really on this road see more than about 100 yards in front of you. There's all kinds of, of caves everywhere. And this road was notorious because it was the perfect place for an ambush. 
You couldn't protect this road. There were just too many ways for robbers and everybody to escape. And so it was a, a road that was notorious for robbers and, and people being jumped on this road. And, and that's exactly how the story goes. And everybody's totally picturing that. And so this guy, who, who's a Jewish man, is on the road. He gets robbed. He gets stripped of his clothes, beaten. They take everything he has. They leave him half dead. He, he's just barely alive. And then it turns into the story of three guys. You know how we have story? Hey, there was a priest and a rabbi, and you know, they came into. It's a three-guy story. So Jesus launches into the three-guy story, and he says, hey, a priest comes by, and the priest sees the man in the road who's bleeding and naked and obviously needs help, but the priest skirts on the other side of the road as far as he can to get around the guy without coming into contact, doesn't want anything to do with it. By the way, it's kind of risky to even mess with him. They're, they're in a perfect place for an ambush, and they know that an ambush has just happened, and the robbers are still in the area, so he keeps moving. Levite comes by, number two, and then he, same thing, sees the guy, notices the guy, skirts around him, doesn't want anything to do with him, doesn't help him, he gets through. And then the third guy. Now, it could be that the Jewish audience is thinking, okay, well, a priest, a Levite, a Levite, this must be like a regular guy. They know the third guy's going to have a twist. But it's not a regular Jewish guy. All of a sudden, Jesus introduces the third character. He's a Samaritan. A Samaritan, which is a half-Jewish guy. Didn't get along with Jewish people. But he comes by, and then he does this kindness for this man. He stops at risk to himself. He stops. He bandages up the guy's wounds. Think about it. Where we don't get the tension in the story is everybody can picture this road. Everybody knows it's notorious. Everybody knows people get robbed there. You, you need to go, you know, they're armed with, with a group of people. And so everybody sees it. But every minute the Samaritan is with this guy puts him at greater and greater risk. He stops. He starts helping them. He takes the time to treat his wounds and bind them up. Then he puts the man on his, his own animal, which then will slow him down. So he's spent all this time there. He's in an area that's notorious. He's at the ambush site. He knows the ambushers are somewhere in the area. He's spending time. He gets the guy up on his animal, which then slows him down. And then he walks with the animal to Jericho, which puts him at greater and greater risk because he's spending more time, he's moving slower and uh, creating more of attention to himself, and he comes into Jericho. Then, when he gets in Jericho, he's a Samaritan, which, which, by the way, I forgot to mention, Samaritans and Jewish people did not like each other. They hated each other in a racial kind of a way. Samaritans were half Jewish, they, had, they lived in a section of Israel, and Jewish people, for the most part, except for Jesus, would, if they needed to go somewhere north of Samaria and they were to the south of Samaria, rather than cut through Samaria, they'd go all the way around just to not come into contact with any Samar Samaritans. But this is on the road to Jericho, and this is where the Samaritan is the minority. He's the disliked minority. He pulls it. Can you imagine? He comes into town. It's, when he finally gets to Jericho, he's still at risk because he's a Samaritan leading a Jewish person that's been beat half to death. 
That's not making that look good for him. He finds an inn. At, now he's already put himself at risk. Now he pays for the guy to stay there. He stays up during the night and tends to this guy's wounds. And then when he leaves the next day, he leaves even more money and says, hey, here's two denarii. Continue to take care of that guy. If, it's a, if he racks up more expenses than what this will cover, I'll catch you when I come back through next time on my business travels. And that's what happens. That's a picture from Jesus of what it means to be selfless. Selflessness is meeting somebody else's needs with the same energy and passion and joy that we meet our own needs with. Helping somebody else with the speed, the energy, uh, the fervency that we would take care of our own needs. That's what it means to be selfless. Now, and Jesus is calling us to do that. I'll give you an example. I mean, that happens sometimes around here. I just told you the story where uh, we had given uh, some money to redig these wells and get that going. What I didn't tell you is a couple weeks before that, because of your generosity, we have two of our students who are graduating now. Our kids are getting older. Some of them are graduating from high school. And our first two graduates named uh, Bua and Ging Dao are going to college, actually. Not all of them are going to college, but these two are, are bright young ladies are, and they're going to two different colleges in Chiang Mai, which is a big city nearby, and because they needed some transportation. They're actually both rooming with different girls who are two other girls who are actually from one of the other orphanages that we're associated with. But anyway, they needed a motor scooter, and we were able to buy a motor scooter. Same thing, because your generosity, we didn't mention it to anybody, haven't told anybody, you guys have just provided those needs. We're able to take care of that. But here in the last week or so, somebody from our church gave some money, $2,000, because they heard that in Thailand, we were also doing some work with the Burmese refugees in northern Thailand. And so they didn't know these people. We didn't ask them for money. There's always needs there, but we didn't tell them about any needs. But they came and said, hey, here's 2000 bucks to meet the needs there. And, of course, when I told Tutu that, she had uh, several different things where that money could be desperately used and needed. And, and so the, that all happened. So this person did that, you know, just selflessly. That's, it cost them something. So that's what I'm talking about. But you guys, a lot of you guys are great at the giving part. So I'm not landing on this. My point is, it's meeting other people's needs with the same passion that you meet your own needs. Okay, so that's what it is. Pretty straightforward. And then the next thing is, okay... Who are we to be selfless to? Well, we've already answered that. Everyone. Everyone. We should be selfless to every Jesus is telling us, even people that we would tend to think of as enemies, even people who we would disagree with, even people who are much different than us, we're supposed to even love them. Not just love them like you say, oh, I love everybody. No, you're supposed to do for them in a selfless way. Now, Here's my point. Here's why we're talking about this in relationships. If we can just get some of this basic Christian stuff down, it will take a, care of a lot of stuff in our relationships. So before we even get into talking about what to do in relationships, hey, let's nail forgiveness. And then once we get that done, let's do selflessness. Because if God has called us 
to be selfless to people that we don't even know, who are much different from us, how much more do you think God expects us to be selfless to the people in our lives? And then how much more than that do you think God expects us to be selfless to the people we love? See, this is what's going on. I want us to rethink this characteristic of the Christian life and just put it rubber meets the road. If this is happening anywhere in our life, it should be right here in our relationships, especially our closest relationship, which is marriage, besides our relationship with God. And if you're sitting here thinking that, yeah, I would have been like this Samaritan. I would have stopped and helped that person. If you're thinking that and you are not selfless toward your spouse, I did not do a good enough job in explaining to you the cultural context of what was happening on the road to Jericho. Because I'm telling you, you wouldn't have. If you can't love your spouse selflessly, there's no way you're stopping and putting yourself at risk and paying money to help somebody who could be considered your enemy. I'm just telling you, you can think you're, but I'm telling you, that, no way. By the way, though, who in our culture would we see, would we say comes the closest to being selfless? We all struggle with selflessness, but when it comes to doing for other people that can't do back for you, there's, a, there's one class of people, just kind of a life stage kind of class of people, that I think probably get this. Who would that be? Any, any ideas? Parents. Parents. Boom. Nailed it. Parents. Why? Because we, we, we have a child, and the child can't do anything. Well, they can do stuff, but nothing productive. You know, so, <laughs> so we do for them and do for them and do for them. And, you know, and they, they're not really given a lot back, not anything we want anyway. So that's kind of the way that goes. Although it only, you know, lasts, we know this is not going to last forever. But so we, we pretty much got that down. But the problem is, I think a lot of times, if I could just pick on something here. We're selfless to our kids when they're young. And we love them selflessly. But as they get older, we start loving them conveniently. Not selflessly. As they get older, it's easy to get permissive or kind of check out of their lives and sort of just provide for them when really what they need is guidance. They need discipline. God, by the way, is telling us we cannot neglect disciplining our children. It's part of our job to teach them character, to train them in righteousness. I mean, it's really easy to, to get permissive and it's easier to say yes than no and, and check out and just make sure that they're having a good time. Kids need more than that. If we want to continue to love them selflessly, they need our time. They need our direction. They need our discipline. They need our love. We need to stay engaged. So that's parenting. But what about our spouses again? God's telling us in his word that the person we're married to, we should have a closer relationship with the person we're married to than we should anybody on the planet. And I'm saying it that way because except for God. That should be our closest human relationship is the person. We are called to love that person first. I mean, 
And we should be selflessly loving that person. Because God calls all of us as Christians to love everybody like that. Where we should start with that is the person close to us or who God says should be close to us. And that's our spouse. We've got to be selfless to them. And that's hard. I get it. It's hard to continually be selfless. But all... Relationships have problems all the time. You know, friendships, all kinds of relationships, and particularly marriage relationships. Why? Because we're with each other a lot. And so a lot of times it's good to come in and get a little counseling, or, you know, sometimes that's just a meeting or two. Sometimes it's more extended. But just think about it this way from my perspective. After 27 years of counseling, I would say, you know what? If you're a Christian and and you just get Christianity 101, and so you get that God's telling you to forgive, and you really don't have the right to withhold forgiveness that somebody's asking for, because God's forgiven you of everything, and he tells you, don't withhold it. And then, God's been completely selfless to us in sending his son Jesus. Just for our good, not for his good, for our good, he he does action, sacrifice, and then he's telling us we need to be the same way to other people, selfless. Christians have an advantage in being selfless toward their spouse like no other group of people because we understand, we have to understand to be a Christian, the selflessness of God in what he provided for us. And then not only just the parenting relationship, but all our relationships, you know, our friendships, relationships with coworkers, whatever, it, it all comes. He's talking about us to meet these needs. Now, the last thing, um, and, and I get, there could be some pushback because people will say, well, Kevin, you're, you're also kind of saying this is impossible. Fair enough. But because we cannot do it perfectly, what Jesus is saying to the lawyer, this is God's standard. And what we need to figure out is we cannot meet God's standard all the time. That does not mean that we're not to try to meet God's standard. What Jesus is telling us, it's impossible for us to consistently always meet God's standard. We're still called to do that. It's just that's not the way to earn our relationship with God. Rather, God came all the way down to us because we do, couldn't do that. But now that we have a relationship with him, in obedience and love, we want to follow him and do what he's commanded us to do to the best of our ability. That's what's going on there. So the sticky part is, well, man, this is so hard. How do you do it? How can we pull it off? How can we be selfless in our relationships? Well, again... It's we Christians, we have an advantage because we know what God has done for us. Notice Jesus answered this. After telling the story, and he's asking the lawyer. At the end of the story about the Samaritan, he says, So, lawyer guy, who's the neighbor to the guy on the road? And then the lawyer, he doesn't even want to say Samaritan. So what does he say? The guy who helped him. The guy who showed mercy. And then what does Jesus say? You're right again. Go and do that. 
what's Jesus saying? Again, Jesus is pointing out, you can't do it. You cannot do God's standard. You're going to mess that up. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't climb this mountain. That's what he's saying theologically. But what he's saying to us practically is that's God's standard that he wants us to do. Not to earn our salvation because we can't do it all the time perfectly. But that's how God wants us to live. That's what God wants from us. And so it's up to us. Now, the reason that we have an advantage as, as believers is because we know that God has done something for us. And, and there's a place in, in Scripture that describes that. And it's full of theology. It's one of the maybe greatest passages in all the Bible. But I want to not so much focus on the theology of it, but just focus on the selflessness of it. And it's in Philippians chapter 2. Let me read this for you. It's Philippians chapter 2, again, just briefly before we close out, beginning in verse 3. This Paul writing the Philippian church, he's telling us what Jesus did for us, how he was selfless. It goes like this. He's, first, he's telling the people how they should act. Here's Paul telling Christians, here's how you need to act. Verse 3. Do nothing from, selfish or em- for, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, And being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. This is a picture of what God has done for us through Jesus. He came all the way down. To us to meet our need totally selfless and when we have a relationship with God it empowers us it enables us to love others in a selfless way I'm gonna have Jay come out and he's gonna close us out with a song but I want you to think about something as that happens and that is it's interesting when we talk about relationship God is always describing our relationship and our connection with God in the terms of relationships. For example, he's described as our father. Remember, the church, those who are truly his, are described as the bride of Christ. We have these family relationships that describe God and our relationship to him. And, hey, if you need power to be selfless, we all do. And it's our father who will teach us how. Let's stand together.